the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 282 Premium for Wednesday, August 25th, 2010. Good readings, folks. Welcome to the show. It is Wednesday afternoon. John and I come to you over whatever medium you choose. I was going to say over the airwaves, but probably, well, I guess at, at some level we're coming in over the air, aren't we, John? If you have Wi-Fi, I guess, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, like, for, it, it's an analog signal at the end of it, right? It's coming out of a speaker, either a large speaker or a small speaker being an earphone, and going to your ears. So that's, that's airwaves, right, in that sense? Last I checked, people are still analog, yes. Yes, there is There is no such thing as direct digital sound. It has to go analog at some point. Not uh, yet, but, you know, there's, uh, you know. There's hope. You've, you've read a Neuromancer and all that. I have. I like we'll, Neuromancer. We'll, we'll plug in directly That's someday. Right. <laughs> I'm, not sure I, I'm not sure if I'm eager for that day or petrified of it. Probably a little both. Mm-hmm. We have an excellent show put together here. Lots of good questions, some excellent tips. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a tangent or three along the way. Uh, let's dive right in, John. Unless there's, is there, is there a tangent to start with? I don't think there is. But nope. Sometimes, you know, we surprise each other here. All right. Uh, so, Tim writes, I want to have Safari open at login and open my saved tabs, essentially like clicking my saved tabs button. So those pages load, which is what I do manually now after I launch Safari. So how can I do this? I dug into this, John. At first I thought, oh, yeah, hmm, there's no real way. But then I, I decided, well, I should look because a lot of times, I, and I'm sure this happens to all of us. Of course, it definitely happens to me. We've used software like Safari. I've used it since version one. So now we're at version five. There's some things in the preferences and in the options there that weren't there in version one. Quite a few of them, actually. Uh, and I found this one or I found something close. So the first thing you want to do, which I think Tim has already done, but for the sake of everyone listening, uh, you want to create a tab folder that contains the save tabs you wish to load. And you do this by opening all the tabs you want, getting them laid out, you know, just so. And then go to the bookmarks menu. Choose add bookmark for these X tabs and X will be replaced with a number. Uh, and then it will ask you to name that new bookmarks folder, choose where to place it. And in the end, you'll have a new bookmarks folder that contains separate entries for each of your tabs. Once that's there, go into the Safari menu, choose preferences. And in the general pane, uh, choose select choose this fold, choose tabs folder from the new windows open with drop down. And then, of course, select the folder you just created and boom, you're good to go. So that the, the one caveat here is not only will this happen when you launch Safari, but it will also happen anytime you open a new window in Safari. Depending on your workflow and work habits, you may never open new windows. And so this isn't a problem or you may constantly open new windows and then this isn't going to work at all for you. But uh, but this is the way I found to do it. But uh, John, you and this is the beauty of having parallel prep going on. You found something else. Yes, I did. And I actually found it, Dave, at Mac Observer. At least two articles. Oh, wow. That's great. So one article, uh, there were two articles. One is one I had written a while ago, a Monday's Mac Gadget. Uh, and another one was uh, one that Jeff Gamut had done, talking about ways to enhance Safari. 
And what I'm going to suggest here, and I don't see anything, uh, one of the things Jeff wrote about uh, apparently is not compatible with the latest version, but as far as I can tell, this product, which I wrote about called Saft, oh, right. extends Safari in so many crazy ways. I'm not even going to begin. I mean, I'm looking at the bullet list of features here, and there must literally be a hundred features here. Of course, one of them is, uh, several of them have to do with tabs, reloading tabs, saving tabs, things like that. So, I would suggest, and, and from what I see, it's shareware. Uh, it is $15 if you'd like to purchase it, and it, it uh, gives you an additional SAFT tab within Safari. And and this is just one of the features that it does, exactly what Tim is looking for. Is that right? Uh, I'm looking at the list, and save tabs is is one of the features. So I would imagine if you can save tabs, you can load the tabs. Okay, but is there a way to have SAFT load the tabs at login that you can see out of the gate, or maybe we don't know? I'm going to, I did not take time okay. to try it. Okay. All right. So it may not be as fluid. So I think you're between the two of us. I, I think this will get closer to what he would like. Cause it sounds like if Saft can save tabs, I mean, it sounds like that's just part one of, of what we're doing for Tim inside the, the add bookmark folder for these tabs. Right. I mean, and that was something mm. that Safari didn't originally have, but has since added. So it's possible that Saft, it would be it would be interesting to know. We'll have to dig into Saft more. You know, I, it, as you were going through that, John, I was thinking for our cool stuff found episodes, we rarely revisit products, uh, but we often revisit features of of other products. Like, you know, we might find something in Safari or might find something. So perhaps for a cool stuff found episode, we'll have to revisit some of the features of these all encompassing products like Saft. So because I know we've mentioned it in the past. Cool. Moving on to Mark. Mark writes, John and Dave, I have been having trouble with the IR infrared receiver on my MacBook Pro. It recently stopped accepting commands from my Apple remote. The last time this happened, I was able to get it working by disabling, then re-enabling the IR remote checkbox in the security preference pane. That did not work this time. I tried the remote with my iMac and it worked properly and also replaced the battery in the remote meaning that the problem is definitely with the MacBook Pro. Other things I tried to fix this problem are reset the PRAM and SMC, a fresh install of Snow Leopard, but I'm not sure if Mark did that on top of the existing one or if he wiped it and cleaned it up, uh, and also third-party IR drivers, none of which were successful. Apple hardware test returns no errors. However, oddly enough, the IR receiver does show up in the system profiler. Did I miss something or can I just assume that this is a hardware problem? Okay. Uh, again, I think we've got some parallel tracks here. You did uh, that for, for those of you playing along at home. Uh, the first place to check is in the security preference pane. So system preferences, click on security in the general tab. There is a checkbox that says disable IR on this computer. So you want to make sure that's on, but he already, he already did that. Uh, the next thought is you can, by default, your Mac will accept commands from any remote, but it's possible to pair a remote with a specific computer. And perhaps he's got another remote paired with this computer or this remote paired with another computer. Uh, 
There is a knowledge-based article titled Pairing Your Apple Remote with Your Computer that explains the nuances of all of this. We'll link to it, of course, in the show notes. Deleting the pairing is done right there in the same place. System Preferences, Security, General, and then click Unpair. If that doesn't work, though, John, I'm thinking I'm thinking there's a hardware problem. Um, I, you know, maybe find another remote just to confirm that. But otherwise, I think I think we got a hardware problem. That's that's a good. Uh, so one, it may sound obvious. I, I doubt there's anything blocking that little IR window. I mean, I've seen some ultra paranoid people mm. tape over that because, Dave, there are shenanigans that you can execute if someone's IR receiver is not paired and is available. And I actually confirmed this doing some workplace shenanigans one time in that if you are not paired, then, as I think you mentioned, any IR can potentially control the machine. And one thing, I believe the default behavior is that if you take the remote and you hold down the pause button and you aim it at a machine, it will put the machine to sleep. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good So that leads to some hilarity. It's it's not damaging. I mean, you know, the machine will sleep, and of course you can wake it up again. Uh, but I would say if, if you are using the remote at all, you definitely want a pair to just avoid people uh, pulling that, that that sort of thing. Yeah, I always make sure when doing a presentation at Macworld Expo or anywhere else that I paired my remote with my machine because invariably, you know, you got to think somebody in the crowd is going to try, especially with me. Right. Because I'm out there, you know, supposed to be the geek. Right. So, hey, let's let's uh, let's stump the geek or shut down his presentation or jump it to the end or whatever else we can do. So, I'd, yeah. I'd try it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure people have. I hope they have. Otherwise, otherwise, we haven't taught them well, John. Another thought, though unlikely, but, but it's something to check because he did mention that it shows up in System Profiler, which is a, a good sanity check. If you look in System, Library, Extensions, there should be something in there called Apple IR Controller. Just make sure that's there, and I don't know if you want to maybe restore that from a, a backup. That, that may be damaged. I don't know, but as far as I can tell, that's the driver for the, the IR Controller. There are a couple of other products he, he may want to try as well. And believe it or not, I've written gadgets on these as well. Uh, and they use, of course, the, the, the same IR controller. Uh, okay. One is called Mira and another is called Remote Buddy. And, and we'll link, uh, I'll link to the articles that I wrote about those. And those, those both give you the ability to command the Mac beyond the rather limited, I would say, set of things that you can do with the built-in remote, which is pretty much control a few Apple applications and go to front row. I think is really what you get built in. So it's very, very basic. So if, if, so one, if you want to expand what you can do with the remote, check out one of these two products or just to, to verify that the remote's working because they'll usually have a little window saying, you know, turn it on, turn it off. Even though, you, of course, you can do it, as you pointed out in the system preference, maybe these guys install a new driver or something that'll bring it back to life. So I would, right. um, I would check those. And then, of course, you can check your remote Though it sounds like you verified it, but if you do want to verify pretty much that any remote works, Dave, you probably know this, but a digital camera can see infrared. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. This is loads of fun. If, if you have any remotes around the house and you have a digital camera, almost any of the image capture, the CCD or the CMOS in a digital camera will see infrared. And, and what will happen is you point the remote, you look at the screen on your camera, and you'll see a pulsing light, which, of course, your, your normal optical hardware cannot see. My, so. my normal optical hardware is what you're saying. My my eyeballs, the old ojos, right? Exactly. I don't okay. think many people can see infrared. No, no. I can feel magnets, though. Did I ever tell you that? 
That's kind of weird. I know it is kind of weird. It's wacky. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why it was necessary to divulge that. Uh, he did mention something though, which again may uh, warrants further research, which is something called Candelaire. C a n d e l a i r. We'll put a link in the show notes to where you get these drivers, but they are alternative infrared drivers that add some features. So we'll we'll find out more about those. But uh, but he did put them in the uh, he, that, that those were what he tried in troubleshooting this on his own. So very interesting. All right, time to move on to Greg. Right, Greg? I think mm-hmm. it was Greg. Okay, uh, Greg sent us an email. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here, John, because it uh, the email was very particular and doesn't really... Well, anyway, he read an article in Macworld Magazine uh, that included uh, Macworld Print Magazine, not on the web, uh, uh, you know, on paper. So this could apply to books or anything else. Uh, that had a lot of terminal commands written in the book. And his he had a, a lot of specific questions, but... The general gist of these questions was, I don't know, I'm not comfortable enough with the terminal to know where spaces need to be, where, uh, you know, where I can get away with adding a space, where I shouldn't add a space. You know, normally when he goes to do a terminal command, he's reading something on a website, he copies, he pastes into the terminal, he's sure to get it right, there's no problems, no questions, but when reading out of a book or a magazine, obviously copy and paste uh, doesn't work that way. So that this was, this was his question. So there's a couple of general constructs that, uh, that I think are, are pretty safe to say uh, here at the terminal. The first one that I'll say is that uh, spaces are fine between parameters, but they are not fine inside of a parameter, especially file names. Now, uh, I'm going to I'm going to pull a John Braun here. Now, you may ask, what if my file name has a space in it? Dave, what if your file name has a space in it? I'm glad you asked. Uh, what you can do is you can do a couple of things. Uh, the simplest one is to put the file name and the entire path to the file. So if, if it's in your, your same directory, uh, that's fine. If it's not, you know, you might have slash applications slash, you know, whatever slash users slash short username slash documents slash my file with a space, you know, my space file. Uh, you put the whole thing in quotes, double quotes, and that will get you uh, to the file. There's also other ways to do it. You can do a slash and a space and, and, and pad things. Uh, it gets very confusing. It's much simpler to simply use the, uh, the double quotes to wrap your file name. So other than that, other than, than making sure you don't have spaces inside of file names uh, and, and other parameters, a space is fine. In fact, you can usually have multiple spaces and it's fine. The space indicates to the command line that there is, this is a delineator. So you have the command name and a space and then some argument and then a space and then another argument, perhaps in a space. And in some cases you can put the arguments together with or without a space, but always safer, just add the spaces and it's much cleaner. You can see it, you can reread it. And then before you press the button, you know, make sure everything's good. John, do you have anything to add to that? Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I do, because this was another problem I was trying to help someone solve today, but I, but I think this is good advice. So another way, so say you don't want to type all that nasty stuff uh, as far as a file name is concerned. There are a couple things you could do. One is that you can use the autocomplete feature uh, in the terminal. Autocomplete? Well, if you start typing the name of a file 
and you hit the tab. Yep. And it's around and, and it, what you have typed so far is unique. It'll complete it for you and do it properly. Assuming that you have, as you pointed out, the double quotes. You want to have the double quotes or else it's going to get terribly confused. Another thing you could do, Dave, is drag the file from the finder into the terminal. That also provides, as far as I can see here, the proper syntax for the file. It does. That's a great point. Uh, so a couple of comments about that. I'm going to do them in reverse order. When you're dragging a file in from the finder, what you would do is if you were going to do a, a command on a certain file, you would do command space arguments space. And then when you're ready for the file name, drag it in at that point to the terminal. It will it will fill it in on the rest of the command line. And that's uh, that that's how that works. That's a great you know, I always forget about that because I'm so used to using the terminal on remote machines where I obviously don't have a GUI wrapped around the, the terminal to to do that. The other thing that I will point out is with your auto completion, if you you do not need the spaces uh, or, or you do not need the quotes necessarily, oh, okay. no. Because it will fill in, it will, if you don't have quotes, it will pad it with the slash and make it all funky and stuff. So you can see what it looks like. As you said, John, the file name and even the path to the file name, every part of it needs to be unique. If it's not, what will happen when you hit the tab key is it will fill in the part that it knows about. So if you type, let's say, slash uh, users, if the file, I forget about the slash, if the file name is... Uh, John's document number one with no spaces, right? Just to make it easy. And then you have another file that's John's document number two and you type J O and everything's case sensitive in the terminal. Important to remember. So we're going to assume it's all lowercase. So you type J O tab. As long as the only two files that begin with J O are those two, what will happen is it will fill in John's document number and then it will beep. And the cursor will sit there because it says, OK, I filled in everything that I can, but I don't know which of these you mean. And then it's up to you at that point to type the one or the two. And if it's John's document number one dot doc and John's document number two dot doc, once you fill in the one, you can hit tab again and it'll fill in the dot doc because now you've identified a unique file and it can it can finish all the way to the end and it won't beep. So a beep indicates that you're in the middle. Uh, no beep after a tab indicates that you're at the end. It's worth trying out. It's it's something, uh, you know, it's one of those things I never even think about because I do it all the time. But mm -hmm. uh, it'll, you know, you, you need to make it muscle memory in order to really make it useful. So go try it out. It's fun, you know, fun and, and games with the terminal. Anything else to add there, John? He, he asked, uh, he asked, is there any anything I need to worry about or is there anywhere I can go to get more information? So you oh. want to take one or one or both of those? Absolutely. Well, I'm going to talk about where do you find out what the commands do? And, and actually it was funny in, in, in his reply to us. Um, but first, how do you know what a command does? Well, one way to do this is to go to the terminal and type man, which is for manual page, and then a space, and then the name of the command. And they're, they're scattered about the OS. It uh, doesn't really matter where they are. Exactly. But you will get a manual page. It'll typically sit there and, you know, let you space through it. It's not going to blast the whole thing out. And you can learn what the command does. But, you know, that's kind of tedious. You know, how do you know what all the commands are? Right. So I actually suggested something to him. And there are a number of programs, but I found this one and it looked to, to serve, uh, serve his needs uh, called Man Viewer. And this is a GUI interface to all of the manual pages that are located on your system. 
the other nice thing that this does for you is that it tells you the syntax. It tells you as we, as we or as you said, the switches. A lot of time we'll call them switches. So you got the right. command, then you got a space, and then you'll have all these options. Typically, you know, with a dash and a letter or letters. And and there's no way anybody can possibly know what they all are. This manual page will tell you what the heck they all are. The, the manual page also pretty clearly, because it typically shows them in a monospace font like Courier, will show you pretty clearly where the spaces are. I think the issue that he had is that he was looking at it in, in a magazine and they weren't using a monospace font. They were using a proportional font. So it was a little tougher to see how things lined up when they were printing out the, uh, the instructions. And uh, he, he actually uh, went to town and I think was, was using the man viewer and kind of got lost in time. Um, or that's the feedback we got <laughs> and that there's so many commands, but then, uh, then the other question I'll, I'll, I'll let you take that Dave was, you know, uh, What's to worry about? I had some suggestions, but but I want to get your suggestions. You know, what 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 should you be careful of? Well, it really you need to be careful of everything because from the terminal, well, you can affect major changes to your system. Just like you need to be careful in the Finder of grabbing files and and you know changing their names or throwing them in the trash or moving them. Uh, you know, you know, it, chances are you're comfortable enough with the finder to know that, Oh, well, yeah, of course that's bad. Right. Or could be bad. Changing the name of a file may be exactly what you want. Uh, changing the location of a file may be what you want, but in the wrong situation, either of those things can cause you all sorts of grief. Obviously deleting files is bad too. Uh, the finder keeps you from deleting things that are system files, but it doesn't keep you from deleting your documents. Uh, if you try to delete a system file, the finder asks you to type your password. Uh, and that is because you don't have permissions to affect that file. It's not that it's protecting you specifically. It's just that you don't have user permissions to uh, impact your system files. The same is true from the terminal. If you don't know what a command does, don't run it. Uh, just like you wouldn't do something in the finder if you didn't know what it does. Same is true for the terminal. Use man, use Google Figure out what the heck it is you're doing before you go and do it. If a command tells you to use sudo in front of it, S-U-D-O, that means you are authenticating as a privileged or root user, which means you could affect system-wide changes and cause all sorts of grief. Now, there's some things that you, some situations rather, where you definitely need to be root. And that's what the sudo command is for. But again, make sure you know what it is you th at least what you think you're doing with these commands uh, and don't just execute commands randomly. Um, if you see a command, if you're you know looking around, type man space in the name of the command and it'll tell you what it does. Hopefully if it doesn't, well, then look on Google and you'll you'll find it there. So I, th I think that's all, that's all I've got on that one, John. Uh, I got a specific one. And then we'll move on. Okay, but I actually, okay. I actually saw somebody in my Twitter stream say that they did this by accident, and I can't believe. I don't know if they were joking or not, because this is some something a lot of Unix experienced Unix people try to joke around with newbies and try to get them to do this. Do not do this. All right, and it's the remove command. The remove command. Sometimes you may need to remove a particularly stubborn file, and remove is probably going to do that for you. Uh, there's a particular flavor of remove. And it's RM space and dash either RF or FR. What does that mean? That means a force recursive. So what this means is it's going to start wherever you are and blast everything from that point downward. 
Well, assuming that you tell it to, right? The, the next argument correct. is what to remove. If you just type RM space dash FR and return, <laughs> right. yes, nothing's going to happen, right? If you put an asterisk there, which asterisk is a wild card in the terminal, which means everything, well, you're on your own because there ain't or, no or, or slash, you know, top level. Top level, that's right. Yes, yeah, slash is the top of your hard drive. You don't want to do that either. There ain't no trash can in the terminal. When you remove something... It is gone for good. Uh, there may be some ways of getting it back, but they ain't easy. Uh, it's just not under under. Yeah, I, I agree. Under Unix, it's uh, I mean, there are recovery utilities, but but I think, yeah, Unix tends to want to reclaim the space, you know, pretty quickly. So yeah. uh, so somebody tells you to type RM anything. Don't listen to them. Well, not necessarily. Well, there, there's well if they're saying this, this will speed up your computer. This will this will help free up some disk space. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's. But to be fair, there's some cache files where you it would mm. make sense to go to the terminal and get to a specific directory and type sudo space rm space and the name of the file, right? It, and that might be how you have to do it. But you, make sure you understand what it is you're typing, or at least what you think you're typing before you. Uh, before you send it out there, watch out for asterisks. And like John said, watch out for the, uh, the slash as a file name, because that means your entire hard drive. So cool. All right. Moving on to Tim. I think it's the same Tim, but completely different question. Oh, and I think I have it here. You know, it's funny because Tim's question uh, describes the problem that I'm having. That's causing me to, stumble around here a little bit because things aren't synced right and it's because of mm. mobile me tim writes i have an issue with the sync between mobile me and my mac pro early 2008 the menu bar sync icon has a warning and when i click on it i get this it says there is one sync conflict in light gray letters and then below it it says review conflicts uh, so the first one is just informative in the sync menu. Can't click on where it says there's one sync conflict, but you can click on where it says review conflicts now. However, when I click on review conflicts, nothing happens. When I open mobile me preferences in the system preferences and do a normal sync, it appears to finish with no sync issue warnings. Uh, for example, you have one contact that is different or anything like that. I have gone into the advanced tab and verified that this Mac is the only registered Mac with mobile me. The checkbox show alert when any data on this computer will be changed is also checked. I've also reset sync data so that all data from my computer goes to mobile me as I trust my data over the data at mobile me. I have also unchecked all items and sync them one at a time. I still get the error with no explanation. I have these items checked to sync. Everything except dashboard widgets and dock items. So how do I get through this? And then how do I clean it out so I can do a clear sync? Okay. A uh, couple of, there's a multifaceted answer here. The first thing is this, you have conflicts and it, it uses something called the conflict resolver, but conflict resolver doesn't always show up in the dock. Uh, and it's window is often buried on your Mac. I've seen exactly the symptoms Tim talks about here where I go up to the sync menu. It says uh, there is one sync conflict. The last mobile me sync date gets older and older and older. Uh, and I click on resolve now and nothing happens. Well, what I found is 
That window for the conflict resolver, once it's open, if you choose resolve conflicts now, it doesn't always come to the front, right? Normally, when you choose something, you expect it to bring it to the front, even if it's already open. That doesn't work with conflict resolver all the time. So what I've found you have to do is use expose on newer Apple keyboards. If you haven't changed your system preferences, what you do is you want to show all windows. And that's usually the F3 key. And you'll see it. it. It blasts out everything. And you can dig around and find that conflict resolver window. Bring it to the front, answer its question, and hopefully move on with your happy syncing life. Even if you go in and tell it reset mobile me sync data, etc., etc., none of that will happen properly until you fix this conflict resolver thing. And we've mentioned it before, it's worth mentioning again. With any data that you sync to MobileMe, there are three copies of your data, uh, even in Tim's case, where he's only syncing with one computer. There's the copy on your computer that is active in your application. So your address book data, your Safari bookmarks, whatever it is, your calendars. There's the copy on MobileMe. And then there's the copy that Sync Services has. Sync Services is on your Mac, but you don't get to interact with it directly. You can only sync to and from it. So your Mac doesn't actually sync address book direct to MobileMe. It syncs address book to Sync Services and then Sync Services out to MobileMe. So even if you tell MobileMe to reset it, there's still a Sync Services issue local to your Mac that you have to resolve before everything will be hunky-dory. So uh, so that that's number one. And hopefully uh, you can with expose or reboot the machine. Don't launch anything and force a sync that should bring up the conflict resolver window in a way that you can see it. Uh, that, that that's what I've been able to do in the past. Once you get past the conflict resolver thing, you can reset the data on mobile me by complete. If you want to do a true reset, uh, the easiest way I've found is to completely remove all your computers from the list. And you do this by going into system preferences, mobile me sync advanced highlight each computer. And I know in Tim's case, it's only one and click stop syncing computer. When you remove the last one, your Mac may tell you there's data sitting out at mobile me that no one is attached to anymore. Sync data. Do you want to remove this? The answer is yes. Uh, reboot, then add your machine one at a time. You know, in Tim's case, again, it's only one machine. But if you're doing this and you have multiples, add one machine at a time to mobile me, starting with the one that you consider having the master copy of all your data. Get that out there. That should get you back in the swing of things. Uh, there's more nuances to sync services that uh, we've gone through some of them in the past. I'm sure we'll go through them in the future. But this is a kind of a good top level Here's the here's the the way to start troubleshooting this at the very least. Any anything to add there, John? You you haven't been through a mobile me headache yet, have you? I only have two machines. Okay. That I'm using with mobile me, so I think I've avoided. Uh, uh, but it sounds to me what happens sometimes is yeah, because you have all these pieces here. If if any one of them gets corrupted or upset, that's it. it, it it's not the, the the system has trouble. Even though you may have this conflict resolver, the system has trouble getting everybody back in sync. It'd actually be nice. I don't know. So you suggested if you remove everybody, it's going to warn you, hey, this data is is at mobile me. What should I do with it? Is there any way to do that, you know, short of removing all the machines from the database? Not. It, no, no. I, 
Which would be nice. Just say, okay, nuke what's on mobile me and just push it all back up there again. Well, that's what there is that option in mobile me when you choose reset sync data. Mm. But sometimes and that what that's that's what that's supposed to do. But there's times when it, mm. it just gets to be a mess. As we've seen, Apple is slowly moving away from mobile me, especially with the problem uh, children out there with iCal being the the, the biggest problem. Right there. The, the beta. Mm. Well, if you. If you've seen online for the last couple of months, they've slowly been offering users the ability to roll to what they call the mobile me uh, calendar beta. Mm. And that changes the syncing it, it wholeheartedly. It no longer syncs with sync services. It syncs direct to mobile me treating mobile me as a CalDAV server, mm. uh, which is similar to what Google does. Google acts as an exchange server, which uh, which also works. So it, it bypasses that whole swarm of bees that is sync services that you just don't want to touch. So, yeah, I, I think sync services is going away, uh, at least in terms of the way that it works now. It, it needs to. It's just a mess. It's too easy to get into a situation where you're tearing your hair out and you just don't know what you're doing. Uh, drives app developers crazy that use it. I'm sure it drives Apple support crazy. And, and as a user that, is currently in the throes of a mobile me mess again. Seems to be about every six months I go through something like this. Uh, it drives me crazy too. Mm -hmm. All right, let's, uh, you know, let's move on to Greg. Uh, let's, um, let me figure out. I think this is a different Greg, but Greg writes, we, we were going through some, uh, Greg has a little tip here, which is something that again, one of those things, if you use it all the time, you might even forget that it's there. In Apple's mail, Greg uh, reminds us, if you have multiple email addresses, and this was kind of in response, we talked in a previous show about adding multiple email addresses to your Gmail account so that it would happily send from those other addresses. Well, the flip, the or the complement to that is in mail. If you go into your preferences, you go to account, and then you have the email address Field. Normally, it's just filled in with your single email address, and that's the email address that all your email comes from. Well, the trick is you can put a comma after your email address and type another email address and then another comma and another email address. So if you have three or four email addresses, say you've got you know your home, your work, and you want to be able to send from all of those, and you've already gone through the steps we previously discussed about making sure your mail server uh, will let you, then what you'll get when you go to send a message is now you get a little drop down that shows you all of your addresses that you've entered into that field uh, and you get to pick which one it's coming from. And then that's the one that it will list as your from address. Yes, it is that easy to spoof a from address in your email. So uh, bear that in mind. But yeah, it's very, very handy. So, Anything to add on that one, John? No. Oh, I have... I have something to add. I caught myself catching a, a drink. I thought you were, I thought you had something to say. Uh, you can do the same thing on the iPhone, you know, and you can add the trick though, is that when you're editing email address field on the iPhone, there is no comma in that field, but thankfully with copy and paste, you can go like into the notepad, write out all, you know, your string email address, comma, email address, comma, et cetera, get it right highlight it, copy it, 
then go into the preferences on your iPhone, paste that in to the account info email address field. And then you get the same thing on the iPhone. You get the little kind of calendar scrolling wheel thing of email addresses when you uh, when you tap on the from field. So and it works on the iPad and the iPod touch and, you know, any it's iOS, right? All of that happy stuff. So very, very cool. And it will sync to that if you, you know, if you populate your iPhone with mail accounts from your Mac where you've already done this, it'll it'll do it out there for you. Ready to move on to Aaron, John? Absolutely, because I got a question. Okay. Or a concern. Or I'm, I'm confused. Help me, Dave. Okay. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Uh, Aaron writes in show 279, Philip was wondering about how to update his iMac that wasn't connected to the internet. John properly highlighted support.apple.com slash downloads, but then wondered if there was a way to get that info without having to peruse the website. In fact, there is. Apple publishes a lot of RSS feeds one of which is a feed full of downloads. And we'll put this link in the show notes. Adding this to your RSS reader of choice will keep you up to date on any updates across all product lines. You can find more cool support RSS feeds from Apple, including the one above and one specifically for IMAX at the following location, www.apple.com slash support slash RSS. That's very cool. I never, I, I, I've used some of these RSS feeds, but I always, I never knew that they, I got to go look. I, I got to go look. So, so John, you tried this. Yeah. So he's right. So for example, when you go to the page, I'm looking at it now and, and it lists all things and it has support downloads is one of the entries on the page. So when I click on that, Dave, yep. I'm going to do it right now. Live demo. Oh boy. And now what's this? So I click on it in Safari, Dave. Right. And now I'm in mail. Like what the now that's not so bad because you know I'm you know I'm grooving on the mail thing right now right but it gives me a couple of choices and and actually I went with the default choice so the default choice is specify the URL for a feed which it, it does and so it, for example I wanted to look at the downloads one and now it lists feed colon slash slash rss dot support dot apple dot com slash channel equals downloads say add and then that goes under the RSS section in mail, which is great because now I click on that. It's called, of course, uh, Apple support most recent downloads and it lists all of them in, you know, date received and all that. So, so this is an excellent way in addition to software update to, to keep up because I, I think they pretty much keep them in sync. Right. But the other, but the, what confuses me is the other option here is that I seem to recall at one time in the past now, one thing I was hoping is on the downloads page, I'd see a little RSS icon because a lot of pages that offer an RSS feed will show an RSS icon in the uh, address bar. Right. But I couldn't seem to convince Safari to let me view these RSS feeds. So, Okay. So RSS is a different uh, function, right? Then HTTP or FTP or mail or, you know, mail to uh, and like any URL, it can have a helper assigned with it. So Safari definitely now. And I think since version, at least version four, but certainly with version five, uh, does an OK job of showing you an RSS feed. Frankly, if you want to subscribe to RSS feeds, mail kind of works, but net newswire rocks on the Mac. And there's an app on the iPad and iPhone called Reader with two E's, R-E-E, -E, actually three E's, just not all right next to each other. R-E-E-D-E-R. -E -E uh, absolutely, that is the best RSS experience I've ever had for someone who, who uh, uses multiple feeds. Right. But anyway, uh, 
So you have this, it, it's a separate type of data. Safari can certainly handle it, but other apps can as well. So what you need to do is tell your Mac which app you want to handle RSS feeds when it when you present your Mac with one. And Safari is not the app that lets you do that. Most RSS apps will let, will give you one of those default RSS reader dropdowns. NetNewsWire certainly does. Uh, and so does Mail. If you go into Mail, Preferences, RSS, you'll see the first item is default RSS reader. And for you, I'm sure that's set to Mail. You can change it back to Safari if you want in that list. And then that will make it so that anytime you click on an RSS feed, it opens in Safari. That doesn't mean you can't also have RSS feeds in mail. It just that mean, means that when you click on one in your web browser, it's going to stay in your web browser. Uh, if you want to move it over and, and use it in mail, you just subscribe to it over there. You copy and paste the feed and over you go. So that should answer your concern. And I'm hoping that while I'm talking and maybe vamping a little bit here, John, you're actually trying this uh, and and maybe you've got the, the magic answer. No, I don't. Okay. Well, it, trust me, it would work. <laughs> Cool. RSS no, fun. I'm, I love RSS. No, I'm having issues with, uh, yeah, I don't know. I may have to call Apple care. No, I'm having issues with Uh-oh. my uh, cursor uh, uh, losing trackpad control on my uh, MacBook. Oh, time for a new uppercase assembly. You've got six months left on Apple care, you know, by the way. Yeah, I already added one, so. No. If you remember, I. Do it again. You know, do it a third time. They'll replace the machine. Well, oh. the thing is, I replaced it. You did. Remember I had my little uh, oh, yeah. little uh, incident there? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, in addition to the keyboard, I replaced the uppercase assembly, and it is a right. Apple part. Yeah, they make. Yeah, I've noticed I'm getting more. I'm getting more errors in um in the console regarding the uh, the USB multi-touch driver and stuff. Could be software. I don't know. I, yeah. I suspect. I'd 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 send it in and probably forget to mention that you did anything like repairing it yourself. I, I almost certainly will forget that. Yes. Uh, you know, I wanted to mention something after my, it, it, there have been a lot of people lately sending in machines for Apple care that I know listeners, readers to the site, Twitter followers and, and close friends. And more than half of the people I would, I would say maybe I've talked to 10 people that have sent machines into Apple in the last two weeks, which is a lot for me. Anyway, maybe some of you talk to people that send it into Apple all the time, but, uh, at the stores, I would say, you know, half of these people have been out of warranty and have gone in for pretty major repairs, you know, motherboards and things that would otherwise be not, you know, so cheap. Apple has been replacing these things for people for free in 100 percent of the cases that I've heard of. That doesn't mean they're doing it for everyone. Something has changed there. I don't know if it's the, hey, it's the Econolypse. We don't want to uh, make people think about buying a new machine that's cheaper and go buy a Windows machine and lose them from the platform. I, you know, I don't know if there's if, if if this is all just coincidence or if there was some message, you know, some directive that came from on high at Apple that says, hey, you know, even if somebody's a year out of warranty, come on, just help them out. You know, keep them happy. They'll keep coming back and buying. I don't know. Seems like good customer service. Maybe they're paying forward to the Karma Bank, but very good experiences lately. Obviously, I can't guarantee that you're going to get the same, but might as well throw it out there. If you've got something, 
bring it in see what they say you know they're not going to do the work on it uh before they're not going to do work before you authorizing the charges so uh you know it doesn't hurt to never hurts to ask mm-hmm. yeah you want to do chuck john or should we just jump down to joe uh, i think chuck's is, is pretty quick okay cool chuck uh has a comment on a recent show he says in show number 278 you brought up hdr and recommended a free little goodie named hdr tist i tried it got the idea but it's hit or miss you don't really have any input i decided i needed more creative control hdr just as an aside very quickly is a way of taking three pictures with different exposure characteristics and marrying them together to get a richer uh, photograph in the end and i know that's a very simplified thing or more Right. It can actually be done with as little as one, but ideally you want to have okay. pictures with different exposure values. But you're correct. And most people use three or five okay. or so. And I think the more the better. But the idea is to get uh, pictures with a wide range. Got it. Got a wide uh, color range. Okay. Or exposure, exposure because range. that. Is, I'm sorry. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. So uh, moving back to Chuck. Chuck says, I tried both Hydra and Photomatics Pro. The short response, Hydra does as much as most people will need to get some cool effects, more realistically vivid or unrealistically vivid shots. In terms of user control, you do get what you pay for. Photomatrix Pro is, if I recall, over twice as much as Hydra, and it offers vastly greater controls. Fairly intuitive. I picked up some of it on my own. It's taken a few weeks to poke around and discover more of the features. One major advantage of Photomatrix is its ability to take a single raw file, automatically strip out a user-defined range of differently exposed images when you can then import for HDR processing, tone mapping, and further treatments in Photoshop, Aperture, or Lightroom. Another major resource for anyone by the HDR bit by the HDR bug is Trey Ratcliffe's site, stuckincustoms.com. Trey hops around the globe, capturing an incredible wealth of images, doing them upright. He offers a free online tutorial, and unlike many freebies, his makes perfectly good sense all the way through. Very conversational, very concrete, very useful. He's just a nice guy, etc., etc., etc. Finally, he does offer some reasonably priced ebooks and a newly released DVD. Caution, getting seriously into HDR can suck hours of time right out of any calendar or personal <laughs> organizer. You'll love it, but you'll miss that root canal and it'll get worse. You'll forget about picking up concert tickets. Your in-laws will fear more riff than yeah, and so on and so forth. So don't get caught by doing HDR. Okay, thanks, John. Uh, John, I know you've you've been mildly bit by the HDR bug. You well, probably have something to add here, too. Well, experimenting. And actually, I wrote up. Uh, so um, the, the guys over at Ohanaware actually heard that we had mentioned them and said gee thank you very much and he also said well what do you think of it and i said well you know i've only really had one photo that i was really happy with and he's like hmm, well uh, now number one they're going to come out with a pro version so uh hdr test is is free and you get what you pay for i think because it, it does have a slider that lets you adjust the amount of enhancement if you will but that's really about it or maybe you get less than you pay for i don't know could be could be. um now he, but he did send me a link, and he said, "You know what, though, the the thing is, I don't think this is something where you can just dive in and just throw a bunch of photos into the tool and expect it to do what you want." So he gave me a link to something that he wrote that that Sam wrote, and it's called the Complete HDR Guide. So he sent me that, and that's great because it actually gives a survey of tools in the space, and there is another one besides HDRtist called Image Fuser, which, as far as I can tell, is based on a lot of open source stuff, but it does have a lot more sliders. So I'm going to think that because it has a lot more sliders, it could, you know, either produce it potentially give you better results or 
create even more of a time sink where <laughs> you're going right. to sit around. So, uh, but anyways, that was very nice of him. Um, you know, he acknowledged, uh, I guess that, you know, it, well, again, you can't just dive into HDR and just expect fantastic results. You, you got to have a little, uh, you got to experiment to, you know, sure. like, like anything, like anything. Cool. So that was nice of him. And when, once, once I get the pro version, which I think he's going to let me take a peek at, uh, you know, tell you about it. All right, cool. On to Joe. Following up, uh, and I think this will be our last question here. So following up on our recent battery discussions, Joe has an interesting anecdote to share. Guys, I want to begin by saying that you have a great show. I've been listening for years and very much appreciate the technical information you provide. I'm confused about how to handle my battery in my G4 17-inch PowerBook. The PowerBook is almost seven and a half years old, and I replaced the battery almost two and a half years ago, and uh, I leave it on and asleep and hardly, and plugged in, and hardly ever uh, use it. So based on what you said, since I've cycled it only about once uh, since I got the new battery, the, uh, it should be in pretty bad shape. So I downloaded Coconut Battery, and the report, which I've attached, shows the batteries in great shape. Just thought I'd let you know. Thanks a lot. Great show. Bye. Thanks, Joe. Okay, so there's a couple things I want to point out here, John. First of all, uh, he's right. Assuming Coconut Battery reports accurately for this uh, battery, and I think it probably does, uh, it shows that his battery, his original capacity was... Uh, 5,400 milliamp hours and his current battery capacity is 5,373 milliamp hours. So certainly, wow. yeah, 99 point whatever percent uh, of his original capacity. It also says that he's only gone through seven load cycles. And at first I thought that's hmm. not right because these machines are built to cycle uh, the battery while it's sitting on the bench because they have to. They've got to draw power from it uh, when the CPU spikes. And then I and then it hit me. Oh, no, they don't. Not for his machine, because it's a power PC Mac, much lower power usage uh, than we have with the Intel ones. And it was a different infrastructure. And I don't believe it uses the battery when it's plugged in on the bench. I also remember that. This activity, in fact, the activity that I have had to break myself away from, i.e. plugging it in and just letting it sit there, worked fine for me up until, oh, say, when I moved to a MacBook Pro, uh, i.e. moving from PowerPC to Intel. Now, I, ha I have to dig. They may have changed battery technology around that time, too, uh, and moved to the lithium ion, which is what they're on now. So it, it's possible. I, I think we were on. I can't remember what we were on before. But uh, but anyway, I, you know, lead I, acid, <laughs> it, I don't think it was lead acid and I don't think or nickel, nickel metal hydride. Maybe it might have been nickel metal hydride. I thought there was something in the middle there between mm. the between those two. But, uh, you know, it was it certainly wasn't NICAD. But uh, yeah, I remember it, it, my batteries used to be the same as Joe's. So I, I guess with the non Intel or power PC Max. Doing what Joe's doing, i.e. just letting it sit on the bench, seems to work fine. It, it used to work fine for me. Obviously, it's still working fine for Joe. So thank you for the uh, thank you for the comment. But that's pretty interesting, huh, John? Seven load cycles in, you know, multiple years. 
there's no way the machine's using the battery. I my I wonder though if he were to load you know the battery coconut battery and any of these battery utilities including system profiler only reports what the battery tells it right it doesn't know if there's a bad cell in there or anything else in fact i had a bad cell in one of mine and the utilities had no way of knowing it would just die when it got to 30% but uh i wonder if he were to cycle this battery now meaning mm-hmm. drain it all the way down and then charge it all the way back up what the charge capacity of it would be then uh, because it hasn't been through a load cycle, you know, in, in a, in a while, at least it's possible that the battery thinks it has more life to it than, than it, than it does. It's also possible. The battery thinks it has less life to it than it does. It, it just might be out of sync with its own reality. Cause it's just a little circuit board in there that, that manages this stuff. Right, John. So, Hmm. Any thoughts? No, he's he's doing good. He's doing good. Yeah, that's right. Don't mess with it, man. <laughs> if it ain't broke, fix it till it is. Uh all right. Do we need to go through contact information in these premium shows? We're gonna go through it today, but uh but I'm curious to hear from all of you. It's probably good for us to go through it, but uh it's always a good reminder, Dave, to tell people that if they want to call us, there's that always they could call us. something there to remind me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we got to quote 80 songs don't we we have to have an entire show where that's all we do we, we like pick songs from the 40s and that's all we do is quote them no what's no. going on out there okay anyways call us dave at 206-666-geek which is 4335 but see what you were supposed to say was call me on the line call me call me anytime if we're going to quote 80 shows but it's 206-666-geek which is 4335 uh let's see MacGeekGab.com is where you can get the show notes, but you might want to email us, and that can also be done at MacGeekGab.com. But it's premium at MacGeekGab.com. Oh, oh, you you almost slipped. I did almost slip. I so you could it. certainly write us at feedback at MacGeekGab.com. If you're a premium subscriber, you, you really want to write us at premium at MacGeekGab.com, Dave. Premium at MacGeekGab.com is, I believe, what you said. You can Skype us to MacGeekGab. We do very much appreciate all the iTunes comments. Uh, of course, we can't reply there, but uh, but it's great to read them, and it makes for a, a fun evening of of reading and contemplating for John and I, and even for, for you folks, perhaps. Usually. Yeah. And, and for extra fun. Yes, there's there's this thing called Twitter, which, uh, despite being somewhat unreliable as of late, <laughs> like they had a meltdown yesterday, because I'm like, wow, I haven't gotten any tweets for 12 hours. Uh, something's wrong here, I think. Yeah, or all my friends have disappeared. Um, but anyways, show notes and other MacGeekab news is at MacGeekab. Dave Hamilton is at Dave Hamilton. I am at John F. Braun. Mac Observer is at Mac Observer. Pilot Pete is at Pilot Pete. Pilot Pete's in the air, I think. Again? Uh, we're going to be in the air, though, in a little over a month, heading to Blog World Expo, October 14th. Uh, it's also the Podcast Expo now. They've married the two together. It's, uh, from what I've seen, it's shaping up to be a pretty cool show. Uh, if you want to buy tickets, Observer VIP gets you 20% off on behalf of, well, them, courtesy of us. So, courtesy of them on behalf of us, I'm not quite sure. There's an 80s song lyric to explain per- that perfectly. But until then, uh, it's Observer VIP for 20% off. Thanks to Michael Johnston of the We Have Communicators, formerly iPhone Alley podcast. And, of course, uh, Cashfly for the bandwidth, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. 
John, let's uh, let's call it, right? We should. So uh, I'm looking forward. So, so Dave, I think both you and I are airports now have the full body scanners. Oh, joy. More x-rays for me. Nah. I stay away from x-rays. They're going to have to give me the manual full body scan. Oh. I'll just remind them before they start, you know, don't get caught. Made up.